Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I am your host, Jay Williams, and joining me today is Jeff Clossy, a co our my co-host. I was wondering what's gonna happen after he's done saying hello. Hey everybody, it's Jeff, Jay's co-host. Yeah. Good to be with you. You're Jay. really big into titles, huh? Oh. <laughs> uh, speaking of titles, uh, you preached on puppies and rainbows this week. Yeah, that right, was this weekend. Yeah, golden retrievers so and listen, sunny days. Somebody, here's the thing about that. Somebody said that to you, right? Yeah, like pu- puppies and rainbows. Yep. I assume because they felt like that was a uh, challenging passage. And what I want to point out is, I have to preach about divorce, and you get to tell everybody, "Hey, don't worry. God takes care of the birds and the lilies. Takes care of you. Don't you feel warm and fuzzy?" So that's my point. I didn't catch your point. My point is like you that you get to do that one. <laughs> hey, don't worry. Man, I have to do like don't lust. It's like committing adultery. Don't be angry. It's like committing murder. Oh, don't, I see like, what you're saying. Like those are the tougher yeah. like you know. You had the ones that people don't think they need help with and I had the one they do think they need help with. Right. Well, it's both. You get yeah. you get like I get the ones that nobody thinks that they struggle with, and I have to, like, and Jesus also is dealing with the same thing with people, and so he comes heavy with the with the murder and the adultery, but yours is like, everybody's going, oh, yeah, I totally feel that, and he's saying, hey, I know you feel this way. Let me, let me help you out. So, <laughs> and, you know, to be fair, though, you are the perfect person to do that because you have such a calm demeanor. And I know you were really looking forward to preaching on this passage, correct? I was, yeah. I when I when we were you know planning out the series and this one landed on this date for me, I was feeling really thankful. And you know, as I sat in it for the last couple of weeks and just really thought through it, it's a passage you know, I've obviously read before, but I just couldn't help but feeling how applicable it is to so much of life and um, how God must love me so much more than He loves you that he gave me this one to do. Well, I think, <laughs> I mean, I do think like this is, it does, okay, so we're trying to make this in the podcast. We got to a place where we started out with this of just being like, hey, let's just sit down and just talk about whatever comes up in the sermon. And then we kind of got away from that and um, Robbie liked to be a little more planned. And But now here we are flying by the seat of our pants in this. But let me ask you this. Does it feel like there's a tone shift? You didn't mention this in the sermon, but is there a tone shift where Jesus is dealing with some really hard things, where it feels like he's really raising a bar. And then all of a sudden he goes to basically uh, that, hey, don't don't worry. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything because your Father in heaven knows, knows what you need. He Look at the birds of the air, the lilies of the field. And, and my question is actually twofold. One, is it a tone shift? Because I think often we don't make a tone shift, and then it feels, that's when it sometimes feels like a chastising passage, where I I have definitely read that before, where it's like, you can almost hear the tone of Jesus being, why in the world, why would you worry? Are you kidding me? You think, like, look at the birds. Like, God doesn't let them, He they get to fly around, they eat food. You think he's going to let you starve? Would you stop whining? Would you stop worrying about all this stuff? Come on, dum-dums, you yeah, got come this. On. Like, um, which, that's not his... Um, tone. So I'm, I'm curious, do you think there's a shift in tone from the earlier passages or is there not? Is it that we just kind of read the wrong tone into anything? And specifically with this passage, why do you think we 
tend to read it that way? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know that there's a tone shift necessarily like between the one that you preached a few weeks ago now, um, right. the treasures in heaven um, versus treasures on earth. I think that it's the same heart of concern. You know, it, it makes you wonder like the order and the things he chose to do that, like in the sermon, like yeah. why he did it. And that's a, another conversation. But I do think that that question of how is he saying this is really important because we do assign the tone to it as we read. And, you know, part of, I didn't go, go into this. It, it's always so funny, Jay, with, with these even sections of Jesus's sermon, the number of places you could, you could go that we don't have time to go while we're up there. So it's good. Right. We have this now, but if you think about the people who had begun following him, like in earnest, they were leaving. A lot of them were leaving their livelihoods behind to follow him. So I think the question of, will we have enough? Will we be okay with what you had preached on treasures in heaven? And then this one was probably front of mind. You know, you imagine being a fisherman and Jesus walking out and calling you and you you leave everything to follow him. That's a really big thing. There's not like they had a program they would apply to and get money, right? It was what's going to happen to us now was probably a question they had. Um, And it does say that when he went up to this mountain, to, to give this sermon when it went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So there's a sense in which some of the people hearing at least were, were really devoted and, and ready to really give up everything even more. So I think that was part of what he's doing. But the tone is so important. The idea that Jesus would just say, don't worry, kind of be happy, essentially. Uh, he's not doing that. No. Well, can I just point out, by the way, I think that might be the first time I've ever heard someone point out I think that's a really profound and simple statement that they're probably wondering after talking about treasures in heaven like okay well if I don't pursue those things in the world what's going to happen to me or am I going to starve am I going to like how am I going to support myself and it's fascinating because that very thing is still very common today and even in our wealth and you realize the relative wealth that we have it doesn't really matter how much there is. There's still that fear. Um, every person, every Christian I know who has typically, when they start to give, you know, if they start to tithe and really stretch themselves in that way, um, that will come up. Like, well, what if, what if I don't have enough at the end of the month? What if I, what if I don't get that overtime that I think I might get? And a lot of people. When we've when I've had conversations, one-on-one conversations, we'll express that very sentiment of, okay, I really want to do this, but what happens if there's not enough? And it's just this really simple but incredibly profound idea that Jesus is saying, well, if you're seeking the kingdom, don't worry about it because your father knows, he knows that you need that. He knows what you need in your bank account in order to you know, pay for these things. Um, I just, I just, I don't think I've ever thought about that in those terms, thinking about that they would be asking, oh man, okay, so if I am doing what you're telling me to do, what if I don't have, what if I don't, what if I can't provide for myself? Yeah, I definitely think that's part of what he's doing. And to me, you've been saying it almost every time you've preached too, but how this is a single sermon we're, you know, we're, we're teaching out of. And I think if we heard it that way, those connections, they do come a little bit more naturally. Um, even the way our Bibles 
lay it out. You know, there's a separate heading for the section I just preached on, which does make it look like it's detached from what came before it. And it can be easy to assume that. But yeah, I'm guessing that that was probably, we don't know for sure. There's not a, you know, commentary from what they were all thinking while Jesus was saying this, but it seems easy to guess that they would have been wondering, okay, then what, you know, how will we, how will we be okay? Right. Which, which definitely explains why there are definitely some things in the Sermon on the Mount where if you don't see it as one connected sermon, then there's some confusion as to, well, why did he put that part in there? Like the eyes, the lamp of the body, which I preached on a couple of weeks ago, that's in there. Well, it makes sense when you're realizing, hey, if you see the kingdom is valuable, well, then everything is light in there. But um, if you don't, if you don't see it as a treasure, then even what is treasure is dark to you because you don't see it. This is this is similar in that you have the sandwich that you st- he's talking about treasures in heaven, and then. And then to your point, like that to me is the missing link. That's the key question of why does he make this transition? Well, it makes total sense if he's saying, okay, pursue these things, pursue these treasures in heaven. Don't store up treasures on on earth. Um, Store up these amazing treasures. And for the person that's sitting there saying, well, that does sound amazing. He's reading their minds to say like, ah, but what if, what if I don't have enough to eat? And then he says like, hey, don't, don't worry about that. I know what you're worrying about right now. Don't, you don't need to be anxious about that because your father that you're seeking knows what you need. And then it makes sense why he ends that with, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. He says, don't, don't pursue these other things. The Gentiles do that. So in other words, like the people who don't follow God, that don't, don't belong to God, they worry about those things because there's no one there. They are the only one who can provide that for themselves, but you're different you belong to your heavenly father. So it is this bookend and kind of sandwich of pursue the kingdom's treasures. I know you what you're worried about. You don't need to worry about that because your father knows all those things. So seek first the kingdom, like go after the kingdom. He's going to take care of the, the rest of these things for you. And that's just such a, like, I mean, imagine how, how your life changes when you, when you live like that. Yeah. It's interesting this morning as I was praying with my kids going into school, like we do most mornings, I asked them, so what, what is it that we can pray for this morning? You know, what is on your mind? What's a concern you have for the day or a challenge? And this morning, there were a couple things and the normal things that a kid would be thinking about on the way to school. And what I thought to pray was related to what, what I preached this weekend, but it was, um, Lord, you know what we need for this day. And you know, what our heart will feel if we think we don't have it. Give us confidence that every moment of this day, you are going to provide what we need for whatever it is, whether it's joy because we feel so light and happy, or if it's comfort because we feel disappointed the way an outcome you know, went. Give us what we need in that moment. And to me, it gets like to the level of what, he, what Jesus is saying when he says pursue the kingdom is remember what your life is about. It's so different than what everyone else's life is about. Your life is about me now. Your life is about what I'm doing in the world and my kingdom. Pursue that. And if that's your pursuit, no one can take that away from you. No circumstance changes that. And and no amount of, you know, it's interesting to me too, Jay, as I, the more I studied it and thought about how to communicate it, the more I thought, man, this passage also brings out a lot of what the treasure passage was getting at as well. 
right. the same idea, just kind of applied in a different way that you can't, if the kingdom is your treasure, the kingdom is your pursuit, which is ultimately, like I said on Sunday is personal. It's the king. Yeah. Um, you won't, you will never lose that. There's nothing that can happen that could take that away from you ever. And then every circumstance, whether or not it's a good, happy one or a challenging, sad one, ends up being that God's moving us towards him in both of those. That's that's his intent with every circumstance is, would you know me better and love me more for your joy, for your deep happiness? Okay, so there's two really key things that you just touched on that I think would be really helpful for us to um, just to think about. One is... You're right. I had actually written down, this is so similar to the rewards and to the treasures. So in the rewards, remember we mentioned how, I think it was Robbie that preached on the one of those where he said, um, if you pursue the rewards of, say, being recognized as holy, if you're pursuing the rewards that the world can give you, then you, you'll get those. You may get those. Yes. But that's all you'll get. Mm-hmm. You are you are choosing to give that. And then when Jesus talks about treasures, if you pursue the treasures of the world, that's what you'll get. So he says you can't serve both God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. And so if what you want are earthly treasures, you you'll get them. You'll you have a good chance of getting them, but that's that's what you're getting, and those will all just be destroyed. Well, yeah, the same thing is happening here. Like if if you want to um if you want to take control and you want to make sure that you are taken care of, then that's what you'll get. And you'll get, you'll get worry in that. Like if you're going to pursue what the world offers, you will always also get worry with that because, because what the world offers doesn't, doesn't satisfy, right? It, It can't fulfill. And as you pointed out, we're not even in, we're not in control. So if what you want is to be in control, which we all struggle with this. Everyone. Like every single day we look at it and we say like, well, I want to take the reins. I want to be in control of this. And part of what Jesus is saying here in these themes is if you want that, if what you want is to take control and to pursue these worldly things, then the reward for your trouble is going to be worry. You're going to worry because you're not in control. You're taking it on your shoulders. And now the worry is inherent because we inherently know I can't control this. What if something happens that is out of my control, um, which I think you pointed out so well. But if you pursue the kingdom and if you pursue the king, then, and you seek first the kingdom, well, now what you're doing is you're giving up control. You're pursuing God and you're saying like, I'm giving, I'm, I'm acknowledging God in this and I'm pursuing what he is calling me to. And I'm trusting him now to care for me. It's like, well, then you don't have to worry. And like, I, I just think that there is this, this fascinating, um, this, I mean, you see it throughout scripture in other ways that, that God, God essentially gives us what we really want. You know, you see it in Romans one of turning people over to the desire, to their desires. Like they're, that if what you want is to pursue your own world and pursue your own treasures and control your own world, then God gives you that. And then what's always fascinating is then people immediately get angry at God for giving for giving them exactly what they wanted. And in my own life, I see that so many times where I'm like, I'm choosing worry right now. I'm choosing anxiety because I'm choosing control 
and I inherently know I can't control this, and yet I also am too scared to give up control. It, it'd almost be like being in a plane and being up in the cockpit and visiting the cockpit, and all of a sudden the plane just starts going malfunctioning, and you're like the pilot says, "Hey, do you want? Hey, Billy, you want to sit down at the at the controls and hold the controls?" And right when you start doing that, you know, a big flock of birds flies into the engine, and you know, lightning strikes, and all of a sudden the plane is and going out of control. And the pilot's saying like, "Hey, I'm I'm gonna take I'm taking the yoke back," and you're saying like, "No, I can't give up control. I'm too scared to give up control." Like, well, you're if you don't give up control, you are guaranteed this. There's only one ending for this. But even when we know we have no idea what we're doing, even when we know we have no ability to control the outcome, we are still terrified to let go of, of control. Yeah, and I I would say that 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 feeling is probably been that way forever for human beings. But I think even I would guess more so now because we increasingly live in a world that does feel like we have control. So like, for example, um, last night I was looking for something. I knew I needed some new fishing line. Okay. Something mundane. And in 30 seconds, a little device in my pocket allowed me to click. I want this and it will be at my house in two days. So the, the illusion that I have control over reality because of how I can engage with it now, with my tech and all the things we have, I think is only increasing. Oddly, at the same time, the amount of information that we are exposed to is increasing. And it's, got, it's getting to a level for most of us where it's more than we can actually handle. And so I didn't get to go into this either, but you know, Jess and I, for almost 13 years, worked with college kids. We were missionaries to college campuses. So we were there pre-iPhone and then throughout the adaptation to smartphones. And students before the iPhone and before social media obviously still had worries and concerns. But our observation, at least anecdotally, we didn't do like a study, but we watched as students got more and more worried and more and more just consumed with their inner worlds and not be able to look outward and part of it is this this control idea that we can control. We can control what people see us as because we can post it for them to see. It's all, it's so related to so many of these things that now are just normal for us. And it, to me, it makes Jesus's teaching all the more amazing because he obviously was anticipating this. It was it's not a surprise to him then what our life is like now. He knew when he preached this, yeah. and he knew that we'd be reading it and that we would need it more than ever. But anyways, yeah, I just, that control thing for us, the things we can accomplish with like two taps is astounding. It really is. And I think it, it does really feed into the, yeah, it feeds into the illusion of control, which, okay. So there's a second, second piece of this. And I want to get to that second, cause I said there were two things, but you just saying that reminded me of, we, we were talking the other day about, I was reading this book by John Stott and he wrote it in the early eighties. He's great. Um, I mean, he's passed now. He's with Jesus, but he was a great preacher and pastor and theologian, and and he was writing a book in the early '80s, like in 1982 or '81, um, about technology and about what he saw that coming around the bend and what was going to happen in the church. And one of the things that he mentioned even then was since the invention of TV and radio, that one of the things that people said was so great was that you all of a sudden now your eyes could be open to what was going on across the globe. You know, like you could see things that you never could see before. And it was just being heralded as this like only good thing. 
So, and, and even by Christians, because they would say things like, you can see the horrors of war. And so much has been written about how Vietnam was the first televised, you know, the first televised war. And for the first time, people saw the horrors of, of war and got a glimpse of that. Um, it, they were trumpeting it, you know, and saying, this is great because for the first time you could see what famine looked like. And so forever, you know, in the United States, you might have been protected from some of the famine. And, and, and so there were good things that came out of that. But Stott was warning, and one of his big warnings was, and he, he wasn't devaluing any of that, but one of his warnings was human beings are not made with a capacity to handle all of that. We weren't, we weren't made that way. We are finite. And so there was a concern that, for example, just to oversimplify what he was saying, there was a concern that when you know all of the ills of the world, you won't be able to handle it. And so the only thing that you'll be able to do is to turn it off. And so he made the argument essentially that because you know all of these things, you're going to now not even care about the immediate things around you. So if you imagine a simple example of that would be because you know of all the famine in all the world, you're going to have to, you, you won't be able to handle it. And so you'll kind of deaden yourself to it and you'll miss helping the hungry kid down the street from you because you just, you just have to deaden, harden yourself and deaden yourself to feeling anything about it. And he wrote that in 1981. And I don't know if there's a better description of what has happened with social media as we just scroll through all the horrors that are going on in the world. And it, it does two things. It both simultaneously causes us more worry and more anxiety because we now, these things that you would have maybe never heard about, all of a sudden everything is a fear. Like there's a, there's a horror story about literally everything you know, walking, going out to shovel your driveway, going out, like going to school, doing any of these things. There's a horror story for everything. So it raises our anxiety and worry about all these things, but at the same time deadens our emotions towards our neighbor about it. It just becomes so the irony of like, oh, well, it's so spread out and you can know everything that's going on in the world actually has made us withdraw more and more and become much more self-centered and self-focused as our anxiety raises, but also our deadening our, to cope, to be able to just cope with what's going on. Yeah. It, I mean, it's astounding and knowing, and like, that's like, that's the impersonal part, right? That's like the news that's not related to us. And then you add in everyone's update about what they did yesterday. <laughs> then you have like both things happening. But what, I mean, I think the hopeful thing is it, is there a hopeful thing here? There the, is. Okay, good. Cause there is. And well, two things. Because then I have a I have a question too, and I have like yeah, like, I'll make this brief. But no, you, <laughs> it just makes me think like <laughs> no one's worried about you making it brief, Jeff. <laughs> You're not the one. Now I'm gonna forget what I was gonna oh, say. Oh, sorry. Okay. No, I I've still got it. But no what one would think again? that this is not a new problem, right? It's like fear, right. worry. Th- that's not a new thing, and and I don't want anyone to hear us saying that it's just caused by technology no, as if no. you got rid of it no because that's not true they had it then that's why jesus jesus gave them this teaching then it's just that right now it is such so prevalent and so part of life that it is valuable to zoom out a little bit and to think about are there things that are unique to our time and our day that are uniquely contributing to this human weakness and this human ill really that that we all go through about wanting to control things and then stewing over it and there is 
And I think it's worth worth time to think about what are we watching and what are we listening to and mm-hmm. and how does the you know very nice things about our tech even contribute to it as well. So that's all I was thinking, just to round off that point. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, yeah, it's a really, obviously people have always worried. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what I was making the point of that money being wealthier doesn't make you worry less about money. No. And and so these people that Jesus is speaking to are literally wondering, am I going to eat today? Um, and there are people in the world who view that, you know, who wonder that. But the people who, like you were talking about taking for granted clean drinking water. Yes. The, the person who has plenty of clean drinking water, has a fridge and a pantry that's full, and has, you know, shelter that is predictable, uh, still worries. They don't worry. They, they worry about all kinds of things. And so, yeah, it's universal. And each, each era comes with it its own, um, like its own special sets of circumstances. And, um, and we, and you deal with that with each era and with each generation. I do think it's, and I, I think this is connected then, cause going back to when I said there were those like two points you're making, um, and, and it was about like praying with your kids. But one of the things that I thought and I'd written down during your message was um, pursuing the kingdom doesn't mean that you have fewer things to worry about. No. And that's, I think, so critical is that it's it's not this thing of, well, if you seek first the kingdom, then he doesn't say then everything will be fine. Then all the things that you're worried about, those circumstances will go away. That's not what he says. And to your point, I and mean, I think you you clearly communicated what I think was is critically the main point of this is that the response, the antidote to worry, is your confidence in God. It's in a person, in a relationship, not in circumstances. Mm-hmm. So, so what Jesus is not saying is he's not saying, "Hey, don't worry, nothing bad is going to happen to you," because multiple other times he says, eh, "Lots of bad things are going to happen." What he says is you don't have to worry because your father is good and he knows what you need. So I, I think that that's a critical idea of that when you're pursuing the kingdom, it's not that you have fewer things to worry about. The, all the things that were going to happen before may still happen. The difference is our posture towards that. And I, writ, I wrote down like a, a series of events in a day. Like just as you're preaching, I just thought like, okay, what does it look like to go through a day where all the same things happen, but the difference between seeking first the kingdom or choosing worry and anxiety. That's and, awesome. And it was it was actually quite fascinating. I don't know if I, like, I can't, I, I, I might use it some other time for it, but I was just thinking like, okay, so I overslept, you know, and I'm not, and I'm not feeling well in the morning. What does it look like if I'm seeking first the kingdom and trusting that I have a good father? And, and resting in him or worrying that, ah, oh, I'm going to be sleep deprived, which means I'm not going to be thinking, you know, as sharply as I need to. I'm not going to, um, you know, I actually had, I had that situation when I was in South Africa and was set to, um, preach at an Ethiopian church where I was going to have a translator and everything. And, you know, I don't know if you've preached with a translator before, but it it takes a lot of mental, you have to be very sharp 
because you have to speak in short, succinct sentences, which is clearly not my strength, you know? And so <laughs> I had a little bit of anxiety about it and I was worried about it. So here, so, oh man, this story actually fits way better than I thought it was going to. All right, here we go. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm there and it was actually the second, it was going to be the second morning. The first night that w- when we got there, I slept like a baby. Like we had this huge long flight, huge time change, whatever. I slept great. So I was feeling pretty confident. Hey, as long as I do the right things for jet lag, as long as I make sure I'm doing this right, then I'll be able to sleep tonight and I will be fully rested for Sunday morning. And Saturday night comes. I did everything the way I was supposed to. I went to bed, like everything, all the things that were in my control, I did. And I was wide awake. I was wide awake for the entire night. It got to be like 3 a.m. And I'm like, my alarm's set for like 5.30. And I'm just thinking, what am I going to do? And all of a sudden, you know, anxiety and worry is coming in. Like, I can't, I can't go preach in a church when people aren't even speaking the language that I'm speaking and have that go through a translator. And I'm supposed to be representing the seminary and representing like American Christians, <laughs> like all this stuff, like the heaviness. And I'm sitting there thinking, they don't know me at all. So I can't even make a joke about it. Like humor, I don't have my humor to to fall back on. I don't have the relationship. If I was up all night and then came and preached here, I could make a lot of jokes about it. Everyone would embrace it. They would be fine. Even if I was borderline incoherent, it would be no big deal. But I'm going into a, a, a national church and I, I, my anxiety and worry was through the roof. Now, I don't know if you know this, but that does not help you sleep. So I didn't, like I ended up like falling asleep for maybe like 45 minutes. I don't know. And I got up and it, what what finally allowed me, I remember what allowed me to kind of fall asleep finally was just laying there and going, was this passage? Mm-hmm. And just thinking, okay, Father, you know what I need. You know I need sleep. You appointed me to share this message tomorrow. I, I, I just have to trust that you're going to take care of me. And, and so I was able to fall asleep for, like I said, 45 minutes or an hour or something like that. And the next morning... I got up and I just, I just trusted him. Like basically it's going to be what's going to be, but not a, not a fatalist. Like, well, it is what it is, but as a, okay, God, you, you're going to do something here. And he, and he did. And the, the end of that story is, um, that there's a huge difference between if I had hung on to the control and the worry, I wouldn't have never fallen asleep first of all. But secondly, I would have been so anxious the next morning about how the sermon's going to go. I would have, I would have poured all of my time and energy into preparing and trying to rewrite things and trying to like, you know, memorize things as opposed to just being in prayer and just experiencing God's love and his provision. And I felt this really deep intimacy with God, um, where I was like, okay, you are, you're with me and you know what? It's going to be what it is. I've already written the sermon. It's going to, like, I'm just going to trust you with it. And I went up and I, and I preached and I'll, I'll tell you, it was okay. It was okay. It wasn't awesome. I didn't want, I didn't sit down going like, well, I bet they're going to want me to come back. And they didn't. I did. I preached at a different church the next week. Um, <laughs> it was okay, but I was at total peace. And so if I had gone the control route, you know, like I mentioned all that about the sleep and then how that would have led up to it. But but imagine that I'm racked now with that anxiety about the sermon. How am I interacting with the people there? When I got to the church, everybody wanted to talk to me because I'm the visiting, you know, American pastor. 
And so if I was really anxious about the sermon and thinking, no, I, I don't have time to talk to anybody. Like I've got a, uh, like I'm going on like no sleep. Instead, I just kind of received what came and talked to the people that were there, tried to encourage people, connect with people. Um, I spent time in them, like saying with them rather than going out and, you know, trying to prepare some more or whatever. And at each moment making that choice. Um, and, and so the same things would have happened, like sleeplessness, mediocre sermon, you know, running like, like all those different things, the, the same things happen. Those are all things you could say like, well, that's legitimate to worry about, but the picture of what it looks like when we seek the kingdom in that moment. And, and I think that uh, like, that's, that's my encouragement. Then I hope to, to people that you, if you are in those situations, it's not that it's not that God's looking at it and going like, well, I don't know why you worry about that. That's no big deal. Like there are things that you just say, well, okay, I, this is something that is out of my control. This is something I'm concerned about. Well, in those moments, you have a choice to seek first the kingdom and find your um, comfort and your freedom from that worry in the fact that God is your good father and he has good gifts for you, even if your fear comes true. So even if the thing you're worried about happens. So I was worried I wasn't ever going to fall asleep and I really didn't. I was worried that the sermon wouldn't go well. And it really didn't. And yet the spirit of God still moved. People were impacted and I was able to minister to people before and after. So even when the thing comes true that I'm worried is going to be the case, God is still a good father and gives good gifts in the, in the midst of that. And at the end of it, I was, I felt really joyful. And I don't know if I've ever felt so joyful after being completely sleep deprived and preaching a really mediocre sermon. It's interesting to hear, thanks for sharing that example too, because it's interesting to hear your your description of your heart even making that shift into, okay, God, this is actually all about you and what you're going to do with it, your kingdom. And that that idea is what has to happen in all areas of our life. And, and all the things that happen to us each day, when we make and reframe them under what they actually are about, it changes it. It totally changes it. And and those circumstances are going to be tough. Like life is full of really hard circumstances. But I think what this does is frees us from feeling like if this certain thing happens that I'm afraid of, I am ruined. Yeah. Because that's not true. Um, think about the man who is preaching this, okay? Jesus. And what he actually knew was coming for him with the cross. Like he preached that. God takes care of the birds and God takes care of the flowers and he knows what you need with in his mind the knowledge that he would be crucified unjustly for not doing anything wrong and doing everything right. I mean, and he he preached that and it was true. It wasn't a lie that he preached. God did know what he needed and he knew what that would take, you know, and so I appreciate that you highlighted that part too, because circumstances, we often blame them for our behavior. Like if this hadn't happened, I wouldn't have done this. And it's easy to do that because circumstances are contributing factors, but they never cause what we do. They don't. What's within us in our heart is what causes what we do in a given circumstance. And Jesus's teaching is meant to get at that very stuff that's that's in our heart. Because you're describing too, like the sleeplessness that could make someone feel like they have justification to be short with those around them. Now, are we going to be more prone to that? Yeah, Yeah, we will. But that doesn't mean that it's causing it directly. It's what's in our heart that that actually is doing that. 
Yeah, that's a hard thing that people always like. If I snap at my wife after not getting any sleep, it's still sin that I snapped at my wife, and there's something going on in my heart that that bore that fruit. Now, you might also say, "Hey, why don't you make sure you get good rest? That's going to help you in loving, you know, your wife well." That would be a true statement. Like it would. we don't put ourselves through you know, that kind of thing. Like, you know what? I'm going to, I really want to be sanctified in this. So I'm going to deprive myself of sleep. Jesus never says, create hard circumstances for yourself. He's the one who's in charge of that. And he knows what he can handle. It's, it's like a, like a coach who knows, who knows how many line drills or how many sprints their athletes can run where they're like getting the actual benefit they aren't just like doing it. Good coaches aren't making athletes run just to torture them. And no good coach thinks that like, well, the more you run, the better it's, there's a, there's a sweet spot. And there's a way in which God does that with us of saying you, you need pressure to grow and to be sanctified. Um, but it's not, we don't, we aren't to go seeking those circumstances. Like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out the hardest way to do this and then I'll be sanctified. No, it's when God, does that. And I love, you know, that I, I hope that as people hear that, that they're thinking, man, even if you think about the week ahead or the day, the, you know, tomorrow or whatever. And Jesus says, like, don't worry about tomorrow. Like, what are the things that are causing you worry? There's so many things that future things that cause people worry. Um, you know, like right now, I'm a little worried about my taxes being filed. It's a future thing. Th- those aren't due until midnight tonight plenty of time so plenty of time um but what are the things that you are worried about that the circumstance that you're thinking well if that circum I'm, I'm worried that you know this is gonna be a really hard week of work you know or i'm worried that this is going to be a really busy week or really challenging week um you know that i'm going to be exhausted or whatever or that you know there's gonna be layoffs at work or i'm worried that i might lose my job or whatever what would it look like to say, okay, well, but that fear has no power over me because I'm seeking the kingdom and I know that my father is taking care of me. So even if I lose my job, even if, even if they're having layoffs and even if I am one of the people that gets laid off, I don't have to worry about it because God, God is my father. You just think about that, that what's happening there is now that fear no longer has power over you. You're, you're taking that away and saying like, you're letting God just remove that and his perfect love casts out fear. And you are in a situation where like Paul does, where he's like, I can be in any circumstance and be content because I have Christ. So Paul's not going to say, you know what? I really hope I hope that tomorrow I get beaten in prison. That'd be awesome. He's not, he's not wanting that. He's not trying to make it happen. He's not, but what he does know is he's confident that Christ is with him. And as long as he's in Christ, those, his worst fears can come true, but they don't have, those fears don't have any power over him because what do they have? And that's where like the death, where's your victory? Where's your sting? Well, the sting of death, if you think about it, is the fear of it, right? Like it's the, the sting of death, even like think about an atheist who believes that there's nothing else. There's nothing going on. Like the, this fear and the sting of death is only with those who are alive. Mm-hmm. Like the atheist, the naturalist would say, well, the dead person doesn't feel any sting. They don't like, there's no fear for, there's no, that they're not, they're not bothered by 
the fact that they just died. The fear and the sting is, is the sting is in the fear of death, the worry about it. And Christ in the resurrection removes it. Where death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Like it's gone because the only thing you had in that death is the fear that you generate from it. And now that's taken away. So you don't, there's nothing like even death brings life. And, and, and so that's like, I think seeking the kingdom first is realizing like it just ends up transforming everything. And so when you remove the fear of these things, then all of a sudden you realize like, oh, what am I worried about? Like that's, that's what takes it away is trusting him. Yeah. And I think this also, when you begin to think that way, it helps give meaning, I think, to all the places in our life where sometimes it's hard to understand how is, how am I a disciple of Jesus here? How is he discipling me here? You know, because sometimes it can be hard to figure that out. Like, what does this look like to be his disciple in this situation? But it's doing, it's by doing the very thing you just described, realizing he is with you in the moments, every moment of your day, whether your day is on the shop floor or it's at home or it's on the road, wherever it is, he's there. And his aim in that day is to take you deeper into this reality. And, you know, it makes me, I was thinking to myself, man, how long do I want to wait each day to be reminded that I am living in God's presence? Like, if it's true that we need to adjust ourselves every day to the reality that we're living in God's presence, I surely need that reminder right away, and I need it frequently because it totally transforms what life looks like, even waiting in line. You know, like the little things that we just do and we kind of are on autopilot, but but remembering this is all part of his great intention for your life. He wants us to have what is truly good and he is what is truly good. And so he uses those circumstances to bring that about. And that's part of the issue is that, you know, I often think I know what is good for me on any given day. Most days I think I know that, but he's the one that actually knows what's good. All right, I think, I mean, you're throwing out some gems here. I think, I feel like this podcast is you throwing out gems and then me clouding them up. So hopefully people, <laughs> we should we should release two versions of this podcast. One is just with the, the um, like tweetable statements that you make. And then one that includes all of my commentary in between. But you just, uh, like that idea that, and if people this is this would be a major thing for people to grasp the depth of this kind of idea that God is always discipling you all the time always in every circumstance that's why we give thanks in all circumstances that's why we can count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds in all circumstances in every moment God is discipling you sometimes he is discipling you by reminding you of his love sometimes it is by giving you rest Sometimes it is by giving these gifts that you're enjoying in light of him as you give thanks to him for these good gifts. Sometimes it is in the trials. Sometimes it is in the long line. And it's so amazing how often we think, well, once this thing, this storm passes, then I can focus on my faith. Or once, like, I I would be following Jesus, but all these things keep getting in my way. And it's nonsense. If, I think I think that would be radically transformational for all of us if we really reminded ourselves that in every moment we're being discipled. There's not a single moment of your day 
that God is asleep at the wheel or gone dealing with somebody else or like leaving you home alone while he goes and takes care of things and then he'll come back and spend some time with you every moment. And and then the answer is always the same. Respond in faith, trusting that he is God, he is good, and he is in control, or responding in seizing control and wanting to be our own God, whether it's through trying to control things and worry, or whether it's pursuing worldly treasures or worldly rewards. Every moment is a, and, and you know what's great about that, and I, and that can feel overwhelming to, to people, but even when you fail, like those moments, and, and we fail like the test of faith, God, that doesn't change that he loves you, and it doesn't change the very next moment that he's discipling you in the next moment, right? Like, so I think that's critical to remember that, that it's like opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to grow in our faith and to trust him more and to experience more of the abundant life that he's given us. And you never lose by like missing out. So you, so you have a moment where you're frustrated at work. And so you snap and you say something that you wish you wouldn't have said, God doesn't put you on the bench and put you in timeout and say, well, you're done now. I'm not going to, I'm I'll, I'll deal with you tomorrow. He gives you another opportunity to exercise faith. And maybe that comes through immediately apologizing to your coworker, or maybe it comes through taking a moment and just stopping the confrontation right there. Or maybe it comes through like whatever the case is, he's always giving you another moment to exercise faith because he's always discipling you. And that should produce in us like a sense of freedom and excitement of knowing that like, I, like I just constantly, you know, keep, I get to keep growing. It's, it's the opposite of when you're trying to get in shape and lose weight and then you break down and you eat a whole pizza and I remember a friend of mine who's a fitness guru saying, like, when I was eating a piece of pizza at a party, he goes, you know how long that takes to make up for that? <laughs> you know, he was doing it because of his willpower of avoiding all that. And that was just so, like, I was like, well, cred, but it is pretty good. Like, God doesn't do that with us in sanctification. He doesn't say, like, well, you're really going to have to make up for that to even get back to square one again. He gives you opportunities, like, every, every moment to keep going forward. And I mean, to me, the thing that it opens up is how big and amazing Jesus's invitation to be his disciple really is and what, what he was actually saying. You know, he wasn't just saying, I invite you to follow me and become a religious person with certain views on certain topics that you then go into the world and share with other people. That is not what he was. It was a total life commitment that encompassed everything. And what it means then is that that is the most important thing about today and tomorrow and the next day. That's what that's what this is all what he's saying is that to seek first the kingdom is to be reminded that is what's important about today. Everything else that feels more important is not. Now it doesn't mean there's not other things we need to do. Today is the 18th, right? And you mentioned it. Uh, there's certain things that have to get done on the 18th this year, but they they are done in light of the fact that God is using that as a way of discipling us into trusting him and loving him more. And to me, that changes every day. Now, does that mean that we all do that perfectly every day? Absolutely not. I mean, the verse that kept coming to my mind that for me is a comforting one is from Psalm 103. It's Psalm 103, 14 and 15. It says, oh, 13 and 14. It says, as a father shows compassion to his children, 
So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. You know, that remembering that we are dust is a really comforting thing for me in the moment when I catch myself that I have forgotten for days that this is what reality is. God is not surprised by that. He's not shocked by that. And because he knows that, he loves me deeply and he has compassion for me. He knows that I'm limited in my ability to focus and my ability to carry it all out. But that's where this this trust is so important. We keep trusting and leaning into that. And we don't do it alone. You know, I didn't get to draw that out, but a huge part about dealing with worry is doing that with other brothers and sisters, really walking together in this and sharing those honest concerns that we have, giving each other our burdens, and then we lift those burdens up to God together um, with each other. So I know we need to be done. I know you're trying to land the plane, but I I need to ask you one more question. Yeah, please. There's a practical application question based on what you just said there. So I think we can all say, okay, if you're wanting to pursue the kingdom and realizing that, you know, worry is just a form of, it's a, it's a symptom of seizing control and not understanding who God is and how he loves me and that Jesus isn't chastising people for that. He's, he understands and he's just telling them, you don't, you don't have to because you have a good father and he keeps giving these opportunities. He's always discipling you. And so if we can battle that in ourselves, what do you do if you see a brother or sister struggling with this and they don't, they don't see this? And, and I'm referring specifically to, let's, let's assume a couple of things. One, let's assume that they are a follower of Jesus. Okay. They are, um, and there's someone that you have relationship with and you, you love them and you, and your motivation is not like, let's deal with the other thing. Your motivation is not that they're annoying you because you're like, well, why are you complaining? Why are you whining? That's just so annoying or whatever. It's none of that. You're genuinely, because those would be step one. Like step one would be like, what is your heart towards this person? Is it that they're bothering you with their worry? And you think that they, you just think it's silly because they are worrying about little things. That's sinful. And that's your, that's a you problem, not them. But let's assume that you've gone through that and you're saying, no, I just, I see this person um, missing out on abundant life because they're just crippled by worry. How do you, how do you encourage them in that moment without, because I would assume we don't want to, we don't want to belittle their circumstances. We don't want to say like, oh, well, I've had it way worse. Like all those things are dark. All those things. I wish that was a whole podcast to deal with all the things that you wouldn't do. But let's assume all of that is, like with a Christ-like heart and love for your friend who's struggling and, and isn't seeing it. They're not seeing how actual worry is gripping them. What do you, what do you say? How do you help them? Yeah. I mean, so this, this might go without saying, but it's so important. I'm going to say it before I would want to say anything. I would be so crying out to God on their behalf and not just like an hour before I talk with them. I'm, I'm talking for like weeks. I'm crying out to God and asking Lord, would you, if what I see right now, if what I can see with my eyes and what I'm observing is accurate to what they're really feeling and dealing with, would you open up for them how much better you are than that? And could we have an honest conversation together? So something like that. So I would just begin praying that. But then when it came time to have the conversation, if the person is like resistant to like, they, they don't seem to have any awareness that they're being controlled by this. 
I think one of the most loving things you could do would be to just make an observation without a judgment attached to it or even a conclusion. So for example, um, so you're having a, you're already having a conversation. This isn't just like a text you're sending. This is an interaction. You say, can I just, I want to, there's something I've been wanting to talk to you about. I've just been noticing this and you just say whatever it is, you know, you get really tense in certain circumstances or it seems like you get really frustrated when there's a lot going on or whatever it is, whatever you're observing and just say, does that, do I, am I observing accurately? And just see from the outgo, like from the get go, if the person will just fill in the rest for you, cause they might, they're probably ready to talk about it, but something like that. I love that you said, don't compare. Yeah. Whenever we say to somebody, well, I've had this happen. Uh, that's never helpful unless the person says, have you ever had this happen? So when they ask you that question, then sure, share it. But very few people are going to ask you that because that's not helpful in the moment, especially if this is someone that's really in the throes of dealing with worry. Um, we don't need to do the comparison. And we don't have the, our job is also not to figure out why the situation isn't actually that bad for them. Right. That's not that's, it. Because that's gold right there. Yeah. It is because that, that won't actually, what, what we're after, what God is after is heart change. And if you figure out that, like, even if we could perfectly figure out that situation for them and why they shouldn't worry, then there's another situation tomorrow and another one the day after. And because this is all coming from our heart, that's what needs to be worked on. But you know what? Maybe this is a a cheating way, but I I heard this in one of my counseling classes. Um, One of the things we can do, say a person is saying, yeah, there is an issue. I do worry. I do feel like I, you know, want to grab control. You might just open up to a passage and it doesn't have to be related necessarily to that topic and just read it together and ask the open-ended question, what do you see in this that might be helpful? And if the person honestly says, I don't see anything, then I would actually just stop and pray and leave it at that for that conversation. Say, you know what? I'm going to be praying that God does speak to you through his word. Maybe it's not this passage, but but don't, I would just say, we're not going to give each other all the answers. Now there's a time to give, like here's a, like I gave a couple on Sunday, those Isaiah passages, those are ones for me that I have memorized and I think about all the time and God has used them in my heart, but they won't be the same for everybody. So I, I'm just saying that we can kind of start to expose the loved one or friend to what is true about who God is. It might be something like Psalm 23 that is like so open-ended, but about God being our shepherd, watching over us through every circumstance. And don't tell them, and I want you to know this about it. Just let them, let them see and let God's spirit work and see what happens. So that'd be where I would start. I love that. I think that's really helpful. I was just laughing, thinking about what if Jesus had said, when you're saying don't fix the problem, and that's everyone's go-to is, let me show you why you shouldn't be worried about this thing. And I'm just thinking about what, it, like if Jesus has said, do not be anxious about anything. In fact, all right, let's go around in a circle. What what are you most worried about? And then and then say like, oh, you're worried about this? Like, well, here's why you don't need, you shouldn't be worried about that because, you know, there's actually food down the road, you know, or whatever. Like, how about you, Johnny? Uh, I'm worried that, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, my arm's broken. Ah, you know what? Let me check. No, nope, it's not. You're good. Like, he, Jesus does not go around to all the circumstances and tell them why why their circumstances aren't worthy of being worried about. He tells them why God is trustworthy in the midst of it and points to them in that. And we so quickly go to, 
well, let me like, you have so many good things in your life or you have so many, like, you know, I've been through that and I got through it just fine. And there is a time and a place. Like Mm -hmm. if a person is wondering, like, as you draw that out in them and they say, um, like this happens a lot with young parents where they just said like, I I'm worried that I'm never going to sleep again. Mm-hmm. There is comfort in a parent that's further along to say, Oh man, I remember those feelings and I know it doesn't feel like that right now, but you will. Yes. You, it, it will. That's a compassionate response. That's a, right. Like there is a way to compassionately. And like you pointed out, it's really, it's a heart issue, right? It's my heart issue. If you, whatever you're about to say, if it is, if in your mind you are thinking, if you're feeling you really shouldn't be worried about this, this is a dumb worry, then don't speak because whatever you say is going to come up. That's going to come out in that. And it's not compassionate. But if what you're thinking is, oh, I just really feel compassion for this person and empathy. Like I understand, I know what grief is like. You don't need to compare your grief situations at all. You can just have a heart of compassion for them because you also, you've also grieved. And so you just know the hopelessness sometimes or the, or the feeling of sorrow or whatever it is. Um, and so you can just relate from that place and then draw out from them. And, and then eventually, yeah, like you just, you're just trying to turn them back to Christ because that's what Jesus does. He just turns you to the father and not in a flippant way, not in a minimizing way. In fact, I think you can make the argument that he would say, man, these things that you worry about, these that's understandable. But guess what? The reason you don't have to is because God's even bigger. Yeah. It's kind of like when we try to minimize sin in each other's lives. Ah, that's not, you're basically a good person. Like that's not that big of a deal. We don't realize that when we minimize sin, we also minimize the power of the gospel. Because if I don't have very big sin, I don't need a very big cross. I don't need a very big, like, but when my sin is great, then God's grace and his mercy just abound all the more. And I see it like I see the power of it. And so you don't want to you, minimizing those things for people is never the answer. The answer is magnifying Christ and letting them know that he is capable. Whatever their whatever their thing is, he is he is big and he is worthy. So hopefully that is uh, helpful. We want to help you walk through this, obviously. So please reach out to us at connect at faithpestigo.com or give us a call or talk to us on a Sunday. And um, or Wednesday night or whenever you see us or at the grocery store on a Tuesday in the afternoon. We want to we want to walk with you through all this. Hopefully this has been helpful. We appreciate you taking the time to listen. And until next time, grace and peace. Mm-hmm.